Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October 25th, 2017. As this is episode 2104 of the Survival Podcast. And guess who I have hanging on the line to talk to you today? The awesome, the one and only Nicole Awesome Sauce. Yes, Nicole Sauce from the Expert Council is going to be on today to talk about the prepping mindset in business and getting your side hustle on and building your business and making things happen and tell you about some of the new stuff she's doing. It's all going to be really cool, and it's going to be great. We're going to have Nicole here with us in just a minute. Before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the year in history for today's episode, which is... The year 68 A.D., the year 68 A.D., what's going on? Well, the world is losing an artist, at least in the mind of the guy that they're losing, which I don't think they're really losing. The world is tossing somebody out. Yes, it's time for uh, Emperor Nero to go. Here's how it all goes down. What a world, what, what an artist the world is losing by David Verne. Vindex, the governor of a province in Gaul, refuses to tax his subjects any further and becomes convinced that Nero has to be overthrown if the empire is going to survive. In March, he announces he will no longer obey Nero, but also says he has no interest in ruling. Instead, he hints very strongly to Galba, a respected governor in Hispania, that he would support a revolt if Galba claimed the throne. Galba declined since he was 69 and left this and this left Vindex on his own. Nero orders the governor of Upper Germania to capture Vindex. After being defeated, Vindex commits suicide. Nero is terrified of further revolt, and even though Galba refused to revolt, Nero decides to get rid of a rallying point and declares himself and declares him an enemy of the state. After Galba's arrest warrant was made public, everything began to collapse. Galba, not having any choice, gains the support of other Spanish governors. Sabinus, a prefect of the Praetorian Guard, declares his support of Galba if civil war breaks out, with a large portion of the Guard following him after he promises them that Galba would pay them large bonuses. Nero panics and flees from Rome to the nearby port of Ostia, hoping to gather support from the soldiers there. The soldiers refuse to listen to him and taunt him, saying, Is it so dreadful a thing to die? Scared even more, Nero returns to Rome and goes to sleep in the palace. He wakes in the middle of the night and finds the palace abandoned by his bodyguards and friends. A loyal freedman offered Nero his villa four miles outside of Rome, and Nero flees there with four servants. Upon arriving, he orders them to begin digging a grave and paces nervously, saying, What an artist the world is losing. A courier brings the news that the Senate has declared Nero an enemy of the state and was sending soldiers to capture him. He stabs himself in the throat and lays there dying as soldiers arrive trying to stop the bleeding. His last words are, too late, this is fidelity. He was 30 years old and had ruled the empire for 13 years. Nero did have some good qualities, but his cruelty and reckless spending was irredeemable. He was too concerned with his own entertainment and popularity to rule effectively. In October, Galba mounts, marches into Rome and is hailed as the new emperor. He quickly earns the ear of the Praetorians, 
by refusing to pay them the bonuses that their prefect had promised them. Galba saw it as bribery and believed that soldiers should follow the rightful ruler out of a sense of duty. I think we're going to see that somebody should have explained to Galba that they made the decision before he was declared the ruler, and if he was smart, well, we'll find out what happens next year. Anyway, my take by David Verne, the empire had been ruled through the agreements made between the Senate and Augustus, and after his death, his power passed to his heirs. The problem was that Nero was the last surviving male of the Julio-Claudian family with no structure in place to appoint a new emperor. Some wondered if they would return to a republic. But that was wishful thinking. Everyone alive at this period had been born under the reign of an emperor, and it was now just the natural way of things. So you can't have freedom because we haven't. Can't have a republic because, well, we just haven't. Boy, there's a lesson in the modern day, isn't there? People think, well, we can't do it without X because X has always been how we've done it. This is intellectual laziness, and it is the hallmark of a citizenry that will be subjected to tyranny by their own choice. That's a lesson here. I, I, I think there's a, there is one other lesson here, though, for us. You know, these... Governors started saying, we're not going to tax our people any further, and Nero was seen as oppressive because he was taxing the people so hard and taking so much from them. The truth, we would kill to pay the taxes that the people of Rome paid at this time. If, if any emperor had hoisted the type of tax system that we have on us today, on Rome during the time, when an emperor could just have you killed by snapping his fingers and pointing at you, it was that powerful. But if he had taxed people the way we're taxed today, he would have been drug out in the streets and ripped apart. And no one would have done anything about it. Like, if he would just said, this is my edict and this is what we're going to do. We're going to have this graduated income tax. It's going to be 15 to 38. Ah, gone. Right there. But let me read the words of David Verne for you one more time. The emperor had been ruled through the agreements made between the Senate and Augustus, and after his death, his power passed to their heirs. The problem was that Nero was the last surviving male of the Julio-Claudian family, with no structure in place to appoint a new emperor. Some wondered if they would return to a republic, but that was wishful thinking. Everyone alive at this period had been born under the reign of an emperor, and it was now just the natural way of things. Yeah. Yeah, if people want liberty, they can't just accept what's considered the natural way of things when such a thing is so unnatural. My thoughts on that. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I have Nicole hanging on the line. She's going to come on to us today and talk to us about modern prepping mindset in business and all the cool stuff she's doing. And with that, hey, Nicole, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack. It's great to be back. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to have you on today. Um I think I was trying to like bait you into getting you on the show, and I thought you were standing me up, but like I screwed up everything with the email form, and there was like sixty of them in there, and yours was one of them. So it was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what I the was hell? like, no, I did it. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then I went into the spam folder, and there's like, I'm like, let me search for whatever the hell the form thing is I use. And it's like, oh god. Anyway, good to have you on. Um, you are a member of the Expert Council, so people are generally familiar with you. But just for those yeah. that may be tuning in for the first time today, let's talk. Who is Nicole Sauce, man? Take us back to, like, 
you're hanging out, you're in, you're in like high school trying to figure out what to do with your life, and, and how do you end up where you are now, you know, making coffee in the middle of Tennessee and doing all kinds of side hustles and podcasting and all that stuff? Well, you know, life is an adventure, and when I was a socialist in high school, I was thinking about being a rock star and a veterinarian, which are totally two things you can do at the same time. Um, that's pro <laughs> And I was pretty sure that everybody needed to have an equal share of everything for the world to be right. And sort of through life's adventures, I made it all the way through college with that perspective. Can you believe it? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I became aware that maybe it wasn't fair if one person makes the decisions for everybody else. And I did that when I was working on the same floor as a free market think tank. So I had all of these economists who I could ask questions as I was sort of learning the concepts of liberty and ended up quitting one executive training job, working in the free market policy world for a long time. And it just sort of, you know, I always want to earn a little extra money. I look at the value of things differently since that transition changed. And I was always doing something on the side. So I love coffee, so I'll roast coffee. Or I like, you know, homemade pickles, so I'll make homemade pickles. And then once you do something like that, people taste them, they want to buy them. So it just sort of accidentally, on purposely happened. All right. Um, how how did your path take you from teaching to spreading liberty to your currently diversified multi, you know, lifestyle, the way that you're living now? How how did it how did that happen for you? Because if you start off as a socialist, socialist wants to be a veterinarian rock star, and and now you're like espousing the virtues of liberty in all different walks of life. How did you make that transition? Well, I think anybody who enters the world of liberty benefits from being a good teacher because if you're going to have perspectives that make people crazy, like guns, guns should be owned and I don't care if you own a gun, but, and I don't think you should increase taxes, but I don't care if somebody's gay, like those things seem to not fit together from most people's perspective. And so you have to, I think if you're just aggressive and up in people's face about that all the time, all they hear is blah, 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 hate, hate, hate. So, you know, being a teacher has helped me with this transition because I like to, um, you know, if I piss people off, <laughs> I'm like, okay, then let's talk about this. I mean, you're a really good example of this. You know how much you piss a person off for just saying your opinion on one thing. Yes. And they jump beyond what you've said. They put words in your mouth. They make assumptions about you. Well, and that's, that's what I would say. You know, a lot of people in the liberty world have a tendency to tell and not sell. So what brought me to liberty really was Portland, Oregon, bad transit policy. It was, it was, it's a cluster out there and people who live there don't think it's a cluster, but it's a total cluster. Um, you know, child abuse and racism through our school system that brought me to liberty because the policies they were furthering was just making it worse. And so it just put me into contact with lots of new ideas and approaches. And, uh, you know, from there, once you start diving in and looking under the, the belly of the beast, you start realizing I'm going to have to do something to take care of myself because this society ain't going to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, different than you, you were methodical. You built success early on in your life 
and you worked hard at it and you realized at some point you needed to make a change. And so you were getting up at four in the morning recording your podcast. Um, instead of doing something smart like that, I realized something needed to change and I went into the free market public policy world of nonprofits and I worked really, really hard for not enough money. Mm. <laughs> and I worked really hard to pay those around me while not earning enough to cover my expenses because my job required so much travel that it was really expensive to maintain a household. And at some point, I just realized that if I did not make a big change quickly, I would end up broke with a major heart condition, unhappy and alone. So then I started the podcast because I needed a creative outlet and I like talking about self-reliance and, and building more security into your life. I love doing it in terms that don't have to uh, fully internalize the finer points of Rand and Hayek and von Mises and all those people. Um, and for that first year, I was busy transitioning out of the one job into building my side hustles into something that could pay my expenses. And the cool thing is my expenses have basically gone down to 25% of what they were over that time. It's very cool. And I mean, don't you think when you look back at things like, you know, going into the world of nonprofit, trying to make change and things like that, that the skill set developed during that as, as far as speaking and what have you, same with your teaching, like that actually enables what you do today. Oh, it totally does. And in fact, I'm still in the nonprofit world. It is just not where I get my income from, right? I, I believe that Probably our good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the free, the free market think tanks are like the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dam between bigger and bigger government and you and me, right? Yeah. They're, they're doing a valuable thing. And it's just that. I felt to be effective there, I had to depend on income outside of there. So I still do training there. I still do public speaking. And I, I had a really great mentor um, for about five years. He's still a mentor who just beats on me when my presentations are bad. So um, he's really helpful, and I use his methods to teach other people so they can be good presenters. Kind of the, the, the thing I was getting at there is I, I see that as very similar between you and I, like what I do now. Uh, 20 years of sales and marketing kind of helps, right? Kind of, kind of a little bit. You know, standing in front of a room presenting something very exciting like how near-end crosstalk affects cable testing to 500 people you try not to put to sleep. you got to get pretty good at speaking to be able to pull that off. And I think that that's a lesson for other people like that are trying to figure out where they want to go in their life is to realize like everything you're doing is leading you in a direction. And there's there's all these tools and resources you've created for yourself And I can't think of the speaker or what it was about, but there was a guy that was talking about his success. And there was some point where he's talking about being at a trade show and looking down at people's feet because if he looked at them, they wouldn't come to his booth. So he'd look at their feet, and when they, when they got close, he'd look up and catch them before they'd get by. And he goes with this whole story of how he met this one guy, and he got this huge contract and everything. And he says, so when people say to me now, like, how do you do this? He goes, well, first thing you do is you get thrown out of high school. And he starts, like, repeating <laughs> the whole story as though that was the plan. And by the yeah. time he's done with it, the audience is just... You know, their sides are hurting and they're laughing because the, the preposterousness yeah. of what actually took you there being the plan to get there is is obscene, but it is how it works. And that was kind of his point. And that's when I heard you talking about that, it made me think of that. And I think that like people that are because we're here to talk today about how people can, you know, get their side hustle on, get their business going, whatever. Like yeah. that's what you have to do. You have to like, like what are my tools? Like that's the the question I, I think people need to be asking themselves all the time. What are my tools? 
and, and I don't mean your hammer and your your you know your Stephen Harris battery bank, though they are right. tools too. I mean, what are your interpersonal tools? Yeah, and which ones do you need to build, and what can you what stupid thing can you say yes to that will build a new? Like I have been selling newspaper ads for three years now, oh. and that is the most thankless, god awful task. And it's been so damn good for me. Just, you know, like having to keep a consistent schedule with that and find the value proposition for each client. It's really good, even though that's like back to remedial sales 101. It absolutely is, but. It's 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 right there with when your when your football team, whether it's a pro team or a college team or a high school team, starts screwing up. You don't go out and run the advanced plays. You go back to fundamentals. Yeah, and that 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 is always valuable. So that's kind of cool. Now, speaking of your business endeavors, last time you were on the show, Holler Rose Coffee was just getting kickstarted. How was that experience? And is there anything you would do different? Um, give us the the sauce official two cents on Kickstarter. Now you've come out of the other side of it. Oh my God, it's been a wild ride, Jack. Um, and your audience is awesome. We ended up raising more than twice the target through pre-sold coffee to offset the roaster cost. And um, the best part of the Kickstarter is was that, that in order to fulfill all those orders, which are arguably above my usual weekly volume, like way above it, <laughs> <laughs> um, while still building a roasting camper so I have somewhere to roast, it meant that I had to do production in my kitchen. So it would be like, get up, scour the kitchen, set up the thing. Mark would come in and want to cook. I'd be like, don't get near here. I'll have to sterilize it. You know, like there were arguments about that. And I learned a lot about what did not work well in the production, um, like the production area what order to do things. And I did all that in my kitchen so that now that I am in the coffee camper, I'm able to set up my production line well. And I, I, there were things I thought would work that did not work. So having that much volume up front was fantastic. Um, there are so many things I would do differently though. Like having a longer time to send the orders, I thought I could get them out in 30 days. It took me 45 and I would have been much more comfortable at 60. Yeah. Um, I should have dug a little deeper into the profit model for the coffee, how much the coffee was going to cost to roast. Um, because the roaster itself uses a little bit more resource. Uh, on the other hand, I think starting something from nothing, it's pretty unpredictable. And no matter how much you plan for it, it, you see things in hindsight that, oh, I don't know, like admitting that coffee is a standalone business and not part of my farm, that would have been good to do in advance. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, like, you see it in high hindsight, and I learned a lot in the process, even though I've started a number of businesses. It's, you know, it's it, not the least of which is that your audience is fantastic, uh, not just for buying the coffee, but they're reaching out to me and giving me ideas. One of your listeners, I think he made 80 lip balms for me to ship with coffee by hand, oh, wow. just as an extra bonus if we made it over a certain mark. So there, there were lots of people reaching out, lots of great advice from David, as you can imagine. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how the network that you have is they're not I mean, they're competitive, but they are not like negatively competitive. Except for David and his uh, his obsession with Photoshop. Um, I, you know, I get inspiration. I try to find new ways to poke that bear every day. I haven't done anything in a couple of days, but he's he he has been keeping me amused for weeks with that now. 
there's a lot of people that probably don't follow us on Facebook or whatever. Or I mean, a lot of that's being not even done in the group. It's being done in like personal pages and all. But just so the people out there know what's going on, David's been playing with Photoshop. Uh, you guys hear me mention David once in a while. He's a good friend of mine. And he recently had a Photoshop of me dressed like Rudolph the Reindeer on a hunting trip. Uh, j just to name one of many very creative things he's come up with. But there, <laughs> the reason I even bring that up is there is this dynamic going on. And it's one of the things that I am most excited about with what's come out of TSP is all these different groups of people working together. And like you said, yeah. in some instances, they are actually competing with each other. But they're far less intra-competitive than externally competitive. It's like, we'll all get together and kick everybody's ass. If you're not part of the group, you die, right? But if you're yeah, part of the yeah. group, we all kind of make space for each other and what have you and support each other. And oh, yeah. Some go ahead. No, I was going to say go ahead. Somebody I met at your at your workshop last time is has launched a small roasting business. Oh, okay. And so we're talking in the background about what we're learning. He's using a different roaster than I am. Is he from uh, uh, Washington? He is from Washington. Uh, I know who he is. I can't remember yeah. his name, but I know who he is. I can see his face. Yeah, and he totally he does not mind. I mean, I'll look at his website and I'll be like, "That's a good idea," and he'll look at mine and the same thing. So it's it's saying that we are in direct competition with each other, mail order coffee, right? But yeah. no, we're not. You're you not know, it's, because it's, look at the market. You, you know what yeah. you guys are. You the, you are the the drug dealers of the number one drug in the world. Yep. Like, if you're going to move to Colombia and grow something, don't grow cocaine. Grow coffee, because there's, like, billions of coffee addicts. You, you, you guys each have the, the tiniest speck of a market, so you're not really competitors. You are. No. I mean, you're friendly competitors, though. There's, it's such a big pie, you know? Yeah. Well, and he's just so open. I can ask him a question. He introduced me to somebody who put me in touch with another roaster so I could get better at it. So it's it's been a really... Interesting adventure because Jack, many other networks are not that way. It's like you're no. roasting coffee. I'm going to try to undercut your price and put you out of business. That's what I'm going to do. I, I used to be part of a lead share group called La Tip. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's basically these networking groups and they, they get together and uh, every you meet every week, like Tuesday breakfast or something like that, and you exchange leads. And each group has like if you are the person that is that thing in that group, there can be no more. There will be only one that let's say does uh, cellular phones, right? Maybe one that does computer programming. Maybe one that does web design. And um, it was interesting because what you're talking about. So this is a very small group. You're talking a couple dozen people that meet face to face, but there would always be overlap. So there'd be a guy that was like uh, he was a computer uh, maintenance guy. That's how he got into the group. But the other guy was actually the web development guy. But they both actually did both things. Right. And you'd see a lot of animosity over that. And it's like, guys, we're, we're all working together here. And yeah. that was a structured environment. And yet we get in this group, it's completely unstructured, and you don't get that. Yeah. Not being and, and in one town, I probably helps too, though. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oddly enough, so I'm starting a roasters guild in the area. Mm. And there are now four craft roasters in my region. And none of us are that way. We're like shipping pallets of beans from the same source so we don't have to pay as much shipping to one of us. It's actually brilliant, though. I mean, you have a market to grow, and choice grows markets. Right. right? Like, if you, none of you could go in there and make a full-time income off the existing market when you started because there wasn't one. It was like Folgers and, you know, Hills Brothers. Right. So you had to right. go in and create a premium market. So the more awareness you create, the larger the market. 
And again, it's the largest drug dealing profession on the planet. So I mean that in a good way, by the way. Um, oh, yeah, I, you know, I you am know. addicted myself. <laughs> uh, it's, it's cool. Um, now, new projects do get off to a bumpy start. What sort of obstacles and opportunities have you run into with Holler Rose Coffee? Okay, the first and largest obstacle is the roaster. Oh, my God, the roaster. <laughs> I got this freaking expensive roaster And it just four weeks ago is now working. So since May, I've had a roaster that only worked if it was over 80 degrees outside, mm. which which in Tennessee in the summer is fine. But every time we had a cold snap, I would have like three days where I couldn't roast and I've ha I just have orders piling up. Um, and the, the customer service from the roaster provider was a little lax because they didn't believe me that it didn't work. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I finally convinced them and we've gotten that squared away. But, you know, that's something I you do not expect your brand new roaster that you spent a boat ton of money on <laughs> to not work. And it's the one thing that I need, like anything else I could probably get over. But if the roaster doesn't work, I can't roast. Yeah. So I think that was hard. And then I honing the true expenses because I knew how much my beans were. I knew how much my packaging was, but I had not accounted for um, you. If you roast a pound of beans, you have a 25% weight loss on them. Oh. So, you know, you're like, oh, it's X dollars per pound of beans and I'm selling it for Y dollars. So my profit is Z. No, I have to add that 20, 25% weight loss in there. Um, which made me do mass shenanigans, but I got it done. And, and then there's the propane and the electricity and, you know, all of these different things that you labels, labels can be surprisingly expensive. So, and then my time. So when I was first doing it, I wasn't really worried about how much my time takes or how much it costs, but now sure. I am. And so I, I ended up putting together a whole new, after I got through the Kickstarter, I, I then looked at my profit and I was like, okay, if I, if I do wholesale at this cost, am I making money? And the answer was 87 cents a pound. That's, <laughs> That's not, not a, no. not a good answer. No. no. So, um, so really like the good part is doing that work. Uh, and it's not something I love to do, but, um, I guess, That's the tool I could use to say, okay, where can we push down on cost or push up on price? Uh, so thank God you told me to go to $16 a pound, Jack, because um, I would have been losing, you know, a dollar seventeen a pound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now how, do you, now how do we deal with that going forward? Do we, do we keep cranking up the price because there is a cap to the market, or do we figure out how to lean out the expenses? Well, I'm leaning out the expenses right now. Uh, market rate in my area is 16. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of coffee roasters sell 12 ounces instead of 16 ounces. So Cheaters. I know, <laughs> I know I feel bad. I might have to do that, but I, I don't know. It's, I have like that whole shipping the pallet of beans significantly reduces the per pound cost. So. That, you know, combining with the other coffee roasters in the area is a really good way to bring costs down because of volume. And then that's mostly what I'm doing is instead of buying 100 labels, buying 5,000 labels because I know I'm going to need them at this point. In, before it was like, man, I'll buy 500 labels. Well, you know how it is in printing. 500 labels and 5,000 labels cost about the same. 
So we're really looking at leaning out the expenses in that way. Very cool. And, um, I mean, it's kind of got to be both of the thing. You push your market to the the highest fair price you can charge that your market will bear, and then you have to also lean the business out. Because I've, I've also talked to people like, well, I'm making plenty of money. Okay, well, first of all, the fact that you just said it that way makes me wonder if you actually know that. <laughs> But even if you are, if you haven't done what, you know, had that, that, that kind of moment that you did where you put everything down on paper and figure it all out, then you can't figure out how to maximize what you have. And one of the big problems I think small entrepreneurs have is, like you said, you weren't really worried about your time. Well, because it was a small amount. Well, if you want to scale, at some point, you have to consider at least bringing in some form of labor, you know, in addition right. to yourself. Well, you if you're not accounting for that, you're you're sunk. Well, as soon as you bring in labor on something, your your profit's gone just in that labor. So you have to build the labor cost into it, even if you're not charging it yourself directly. Yeah, uh, y you do have to. I, and uh, many businesses I've started, I usually do that. I, I don't know why I didn't on the coffee. I was like, well, the profit is my labor. Well, you're right. Not if I'm paying somebody to put it in bags and ship it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which at some point, if you're going to scale. But I think that's going to be fair to you. Like, you had no intention of scaling at first. It was going to be this little side hustle that, and in fact, you even came here and you said you were not going to do that. And then you went home and did that <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> it's all my fault. It's totally your fault. Yeah. Standing in, standing in your presentation room and, and realizing, wait, I really love coffee. <laughs> Now you, you've got a lot of stuff going on, lots of simultaneous projects. You're putting the hustle inside hustle. Uh, did that all arise by itself? Was it part of your master plan? Are you starting to look at certain things and go, maybe I need to pare down some? I mean, where are you at with this multi-headed monster you've created? My multi-headed monster really stresses me out sometimes, Jack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the garden this year sucked. It really sucked. Uh, so I, I would say the opportunity arose on its own, I think, because I'm just interested in uh, everything. I'm interested in just about everything. And I often have to hold myself back from starting all the things at one time. So that's just in my nature. Uh, but what really helped the, the side hustle collection I have going now was sitting down and establishing a long-term personal strategic goal. One, only one. There can be only one. And it included not just my priorities, but Mark's as well. So that, um, so that it wasn't just, you know, my life, it's our life. And, and then I had to take a cold, hard look at how we could create value from what we already have property wise, talent wise, and what we love to do. So by by having that one long-term goal, we're able to back out and prioritize the various side hustles because I could I could start 15 more tomorrow and and I would never sleep, but I could start them. There's so much that you can do. So the I think the opportunity is always there. And I think while opportunity is kind of accidental, seeing them and knowing that they're opportunities and choosing the right combination That's that's where you have to be purposeful or you'll just end up uh, broke and bankrupt. You know, I, I hear people tell me a lot of times, I've got like these three great ideas and I can't figure out which one to do because they're all great. Throw a freaking dart then. Yeah. Right? If they're really all that great, you know, then do one. And if you end up having to try all three, fine. I actually think it's okay to have like too much going on for a time. 
there has to be a point where you start making some decisions. But for a time, it might be, well, which one of these gets traction? Which one starts to make money? Which one do I really feel passionate about? Which one do I really love? Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and love and like are different things. And there's things that I thought I liked, but when money started coming out of them, I kind of fell in love with them. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. And then there's things that you love and money doesn't come out of them. And that doesn't mean you don't love them anymore, but we don't run them as businesses. Now we run those as hobbies because that's the way that works. Or the sacrifice is necessary to make that thing you love into a business might make you hate it. But the only way you're going to figure it out is to get out there and try that, that scattergun approach and try anything and everything that seems to make sense. Oh, yeah. The biggest problem I see with people and opportunities and starting their own thing is getting off their butts. Yeah, and doing it, some. Just do, do something and, and be, be willing to not commit to, I have to do this one thing for the rest of my life. It's okay to give up if it's not the right fit. Uh, just do it in a way that doesn't like lose everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always hear people like, you never quit. I'm totally for quitting things making me miserable. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I whatever it is, unless it's something I got to do to stay alive or to keep somebody else alive or something like that or keep the roof over the head, if it's making me miserable and I can quit, I'm going to quit and go do something else. And and how would you ever have the time to do something you love if you continuously do something you hate? The, right. The, <laughs> and then you don't have time to do the things you love. Like that's that's the, the that's kind of what happened to me when I was in the nonprofit world full time was that I was doing well and I was in a position where I had to be a business administrator instead of getting out and spreading the word of liberty and getting people excited about things and changing their lives, right? Yeah. So I had to I had to stop being the business administrator in order to make room for for doing all the things I do now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with all this in mind, you know, I talk about modern survivalism. It's kind of a term I coined about eight years ago. Um, how do the principles of modern survival apply to business and side hustles, lifestyle, those things, in your view? Well, I really think that people who want to be in business should learn your concepts of modern modern survivalism. And I sort of fell into your podcast and started listening to it. And I'm like, oh, you can be a prepper out of smartness instead of fear, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's just living smartly. Like, I didn't know I was a prepper when I started listening to you. And and I already had a year's worth of food stored up. But I'm not a prepper. Well, and that's because of the brand of prepper, right? So. I, I think the two most important things that you gain as you integrate modern survival habits into your life, I mean, aside from the stability that naturally occurs, is you start analyzing problems differently. And you you start preparing for the things most likely to happen rather than the scariest ones. And I think the habit in a new business is to prepare for the scariest problem that's very unlikely to happen. And so you spend, you waste all this time preparing for something that never happens when you could be putting that energy into something else. A good example of this is the newspaper we started. The the biggest fear we had was being sued, sued for libel and that would like destroy <laughs> everything we own. But how likely was that really? Right? Like no. I remember the conversation with Mark. What if somebody sues us? And I'm like, nobody's going to sue us if we don't start the paper, right? And and he's like, oh, that's a good point. And and so, like, should you not start, start a paper because of that fear? No, you should do your best not to print stuff that's false. That's what you should do. 
and then move on. And like the, you know, the bigger thing that we needed to do at that time was figure out distribution and all of those other things. Or, you know, with my coffee, what if somebody gets sick and dies from my coffee? I need lots of insurance, right? I guess. Uh, well, uh, okay, so coffee. Um, how do you get sick off coffee exactly? So an umbrella policy makes uh, some sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Limiting I mean, exposure makes some sense, but what are the chances that that's the thing that's going to happen? Unless you're spraying cyanide into your roaster at the end as a finishing sauce, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't. I I don't think I've ever heard of anybody being poisoned by coffee. It, yeah, in it, fact, it may have happened, but I don't yeah. know about it. Oh, yeah. When I talked to the food inspector, she was like, the last thing I'm worried about with the coffee roasters in our area is that they're going to poison somebody. You know, well, I mean, any <laughs> kind of, of, of your your basic foodborne pathogens when subjected to water over 160 degrees for more than 10 minutes die. Right. Like, I guess if somebody's cold brewing and you uh, stored your coffee in a bag of E. coli, I, I I guess, right? Like, but it's just, yeah. it's just not, but it is the type of thing. I, I hear people all the time when they're going to start, they're, they're worried about stuff. When I was in consulting, you go and talk to a person and all the shit that was holding them back, you're like, you're talking about stuff, you have a better chance of going home today and on the way home, picking up one of those scratcher things for the lottery and winning 50 grand than you do of this happening. And yeah. they're like, well, yeah, but it's still, no, hold on, hold on. So what I want to know is, are you going to stop on the way home today and spend a dollar to get one of those scratchers? Well, no. Okay, so you're not going to alter your life for that, which is far more likely to happen, and be good, by the way, than this thing you're worried about that's far less likely to happen. <laughs> but you're going to alter your life for this. In fact, it's worse than altering your life. You're going to alter your business. And the 30 people that work for you out there, you, you might like continue to go down and have to start laying those people off because you're worried about some crap happening that's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, right. and then back, back to your stability statement, if people start integrating modern survival methods into their life, when they start a business, they're starting from a different place, right? Absolutely. I had a year's worth of toilet paper in January or March when I started this. I haven't had to buy toilet paper since March. I still have plenty more. I'll be I'll make it through the winter and that's just because I've always been storing that stuff and then that's an expense we don't have to have for a little while. Women in toilet paper, man. I'm hey. you, if if my house catches on fire, it is gonna burn for days just from the charmin up in the attic. I mean <laughs> my wife's the same way. I, I don't know how much we have, but I know it's more than I would have, but hey, you need it when you need it, right? Right, you you don't want to run out when when it's not there. It's not very happy. But but I get what you mean. Like when you're in a position where I don't actually have to spend a dime to survive for the next sixty days, or I don't have to make a dime to survive for the next sixty days. It's a much better place to be that if I don't get this contract or get this customer, whatever it is, this week, I'll be bankrupt. By right. the end of the month. And that's a lot of people seem to put themselves into that kind of a position. Or they do what's even worse. I think this is like the worst thing you can do. They cash in, let's say, a part of their 401k. And let's say they were making like 70 grand a year. So they take out like $35,000. And then they match their old salary for six months to get their business off the ground. And Ooh. they don't, it's not even that they put that money there and use it to pay expenses. They act as if. It is the paycheck that never went away. And they maybe even pay themselves through their business because some financial liar, I mean, advisor said that it would be good to have cash flow through the business or whatever. And uh, then, of course, the money runs out. 
And they've been laying back on their ass because they're still on an employee mindset. Because, I mean, I know people even like ran the money through something like a paycheck service or something like that. And the, the mindset's so wrong that it was great that you had the buffer, but the buffer became a pillow instead of a buffer, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's not good. No. That's, that's just going to build bad, bad habits. And I don't know. I just, I think if people are building that stability into their life, to your point, yeah, like if you have a year of food and you don't have to buy food, you may just be eating green beans and venison all year, which that's not such that's a bad so fate, bad. right? Yeah, yeah. I can eat yeah. venison all, every day. I, <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we do actually pretty much. We had pork last night, but usually it's venison. Yeah. And I, I think that also makes your business decisions come from a place of building the business instead of, oh, crap, how am I going to pay my bills? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you have someone that's just getting started, how would you suggest they begin to integrate this this mindset into their projects? Oh, I guess the first step is learn the mindset, right? Build it into your normal life. Get your family on board. Include them in your planning process. Start there and get that in order so that when you leap, it's not... Um, building the car while driving the car because you're going to be building the car while driving the car no matter what you do and then every time you're starting the business and you're you're explain you hear yourself you'll hear yourself explaining to somebody why you can't like you told me to raise my coffee prices and i just looked at you with a weird look on my face because in my head i was i was explaining to you why i can't Mm -hmm. and what i was doing was stepping back and not saying that out loud um because maybe i could Right. And so you need to define, you know, when you hear yourself saying, I can't do this thing for my business. Well, figure out why you need to do it, what the core thing is, the outcome you need, and then figure out how you can. And and, and that's what I mean by the mindset change in modern prepping. Right. It's not about how you can't. It's how you can. Okay, so if I don't have a lot of income, how do I build stability anyway? I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to buy, you know, two cans of tomatoes instead of one this week and start storing up. The biggest mistake I see people making is um, not not really thinking of things in terms of their desired outcomes before they choose which input to use. And so they'll commit to an input that may or may not be getting them where they need to go. No, I, I completely get that. I've seen that with so many people. And uh, I, I had a guy that was asking me for some advice on his uh, his this poultry thing, and he was going to be hatching chickens and stuff, and he was going to buy this uh, incubator. And I'm like, so how many chickens do you have to hatch with that incubator minus the expense to instead just buy chicks? But somebody else does all that work for you. And he's like, well, I think I should do this. I'm like, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if you don't have that answer... And you're fixing to buy a $5,000 commercial incubator for a business that hasn't made a dime? Yeah, look at that more closely. Maybe you need to look at that. And, I I mean, I see that type of thing all the time that people – and I almost think it's an excuse. It's an excuse to not do the things that you really need to do. Or, like, so, for instance, when when you let off with there was when I told you to raise your price, you're like, I can't do that. Well, yeah. there's always a way to find out if you can do something without, like, peeing in the pool. So a perfect example is when we when we started doing eggs here, we initially went to market at a price of 6 bucks. We didn't know what the market was, if there was a market for duck eggs, etc. We got a few customers. We started building things up. 
And I, you know, kept running the numbers and going, we're making a dollar a dozen. It's not worth it. You know, we need to make, you know, three bucks a dozen off these damn things. So we need to go up to eight bucks. And my wife's like, well, what if we lose the customers we have? I'm like, keep charging them six for a while and charge all your new customers eight. Well, that's not fair. I'm not in business to be fair. I'm in business to make a profit so I can stay in business. So you start charging all the new customers eight bucks. They pay the price. Then you tell the old customers, hey, we have to raise the price so we can keep serving you. And they either come along or they don't, but if they fall off, you've already established that your market will bear the higher price. And the risk yeah. that you took to do that was absolutely zero. And, right. and it's, it, we, I used to mock, to, like, to try to get a client to do something when, when I, at the point where I've, I've taken enough of your money and I don't feel you're getting my value. So now I'm going to, like, be an ass to you. And I would say things like, there's absolutely no reason not to do this, so let's not do it. And, and I think that's the mindset a lot of people get into. And they get all pissy, you know. It's like, well, listen. Yeah. And I would get to a point with a client where I'd be like, listen, I, I have other clients that do what I say, and I can't help you if you won't take direction. And, and people get really pissed about that. But the reality is people get in these positions where they're stuck. And I know sometimes I sound like an ass online uh, or on, on air. And, but that's why. I'm trying to unstick people. Like, so if you think I'm being an ass and you're doing the right things in your life, don't worry about it. It's for somebody else. But, right. I mean, people do need to be poked once in a while because if, if you don't like getting poked by some guy on a microphone or some consultant or some, some lady with awesome coffee occasionally to, to be motivated, you really ain't going to like it when economics and reality and life poke you because right. they're going to poke you really hard. you know. And I've seen people with a business that you can look at it, and it was once profitable, and you can literally see it disintegrating for no good reason. But they will not correct the problem because they won't accept the problems there. Right. Or they don't like what they have to do to correct it. Yeah. I don't like firing people. But often that is what you need to do to correct a problem. And I've gotten better at it because of that. Because I realize it's taking money out of my pocket when I don't. Um, you know, the other thing I think people should do is have one really bad day. I think <laughs> I think they should list all the horrible things that can happen And then just like you would for your life, pick the three that you really need to prepare for. So, you know, like at home, I'm preparing for a power outage, followed by a snowstorm, followed by flooding of the roads. If I'm ready for that, then if the roads are shut down by some sort of rioting, I'm ready for it. Right. Different Absolutely. reason that they're different reason that they're shut down. But so for your business, what are all the horrible things that can happen? What are the most likely three to happen? Get ready for those and see what else you have just prepared for. And that's how you end up not wasting a ton of time preparing for a libel lawsuit, for example. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, there's no way that you're going to be taking a break anytime soon. Um, now that your latest project is up and running, what, what are you going to do next? Well, so Jack, guess what? I don't know. I, I launched a communication agency this year, too. Oh, cool. It's, it's called Spark Communications Group. I haven't talked about it much because we were doing work already before I launched the company, which is usually how I start something. Uh, when I stepped out of the nonprofit world, my nonprofit worked on communications as well, just for other nonprofits. And we realized what we had developed works really well for small businesses. So I'm glad you asked. Um, that's... <laughs> And our, our first big thing that might interest your audience is something I'm talking about at your workshop. It's, I, think, I think I know what that is. Do you know what it is? <laughs> I it's, think so. Go ahead and tell so. everybody. Okay, yes. I will. It's, it's called 
It's it's the Just Right WordPress website webinar series. It's a webinar series on how to build a basic WordPress site. This is not if you are a developer and want to know more about the finer points of building your own themes, this is not for you. This is for the person who wants to build, you know, your basic one, two, three, four, five page website that explains your marketing position that might have a shopping cart integrated. All of the things that you would want to explain why people should buy from you on the web. And it is packaged in such a way that you can just take the webinar and do all your stuff. We do include your first first year of hosting, though, with a vendor that you can fire and you still have the ability to move things. So because uh, I think the thing I see most from your audience right now when I get get reached out to is that they've bought three years of hosting in advance or they've bought a site built on some kind of easy site builder that's inherently yeah. limiting and won't let you do what you really need to do, but you can't take your site with you because it's proprietary to the builder of, you know, GoDaddy or whatever. That's another one. Yeah, that's a fun. I'm in the middle of one of those right now. Um <laughs> I, I, I do offer what rescue services to, to, to people. So I've been doing a lot of rescues in the last couple of months, but we, we put this mostly, we put this together because I had a lot of questions on the side coming in just from the TSP community around, you know, two things. I have installed WordPress and I'm stymied. I don't know what to do next or help me. I have ended up in a bad web host slash one of those limiting things, and I want to get out of it and not lose my intellectual property. I just had somebody yesterday who their web developer, not yesterday, over the weekend, their web developer bought their domain name for them. Oh, good Lord. For only $1,000, he can buy his domain name from them. Oh, there's there's a point where a man does things that aren't necessarily within the bounds of the law to get his point across. (laughs) And I think you're you're treading on a place where that might kind of happen right there if it's me. But I, yeah. I wouldn't let myself get into that position. But you know, if I had a friend that did, I might be you know I don't know let some air tires out of, out of tires or something just to point out that maybe somebody I shouldn't say that, but you know what I mean. Like you're you're talking a level of shit baggery there. Yeah, that's extremely high, and it's it's unfortunately quite present in the you know the web design world. When I see people like. We build your site, you provide all the content, and we set up your, you know, your Facebook, your Twitter, and your YouTube account for you for $5,000. I'm like, really? Like, who pays for that? Sweet. And what I always find out when I talk to people is they were under the impression, because I'm sure the impression was, you know, feigned, that, well, they were going to take care of my Facebook for me and post things and stuff like that. And Yeah, no. No. no they made is, you a nice-looking header is what yep, they did. Yeah, and they put it on the page you had already set up for yourself and, you know, didn't tell you anything you were doing wrong. Or I've even seen some where, like, well, they do stuff, and you start looking at it, you go, this is all bots. Like, they're set up a bot yeah. that's just aggregating news feeds. Of the, like, if you're in if you're in preparedness, it would just grab things out of Google News that it thought were preparedness-related and post them to your Facebook for you using an API. And it's like, and then, then you realize like, that person doesn't even understand the purpose of Facebook in the first place, the, the entrepreneur. Like, if you're not going to relate to people there, then there's no point to being there. Right. It's, a commu- it's like having a phone that you never answer. Well, if you're not going to answer it, and you're not even going to check the voicemail, then you don't need a phone. Now, I personally think you do need a phone, but if you're not going to ever use it, don't have one. And exactly. I think Facebook's even worse than that because 
by setting that up and attaching it to your business, you've given a market that's accustomed to using Facebook the belief that you'll communicate with them through Facebook. So then when you don't, it's worse than not having a phone because at least they didn't call a number. You know, they, when you don't have a phone, they don't call the number. When you have a Facebook page, you don't go there. When they go to your Facebook page and they talk to you and you don't answer them, then it's like, okay, this person doesn't give a shit about me. Right. Like yeah. all the social media, the only reason it works is because it's a communication stream. Yeah, and and your marketing brand has to be represented well there as well as on your on your website or anywhere else. Um, that's just, and you have to. I guess you have to take a little time to understand communications tools if you're going to use them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, like, I, I'm really kind of, I, I'm not surprised, but I'm re really excited that you've chosen to use WordPress as your, you know, your backend for site development. Uh, I praise WordPress all the time, but you want to tell people like why that is such a good thing to do. Well, for right now, I think it is the best platform that a person can use who is not a developer to end up having a website that they can control or they can work with developers to do things with it. it it's, it's widely used. It's well adopted. That means that there are a gajillion people able to work on it for not too much money. And, and that's better than like, you know, trying to think of which one I most recently came. Well, any other proprietary system. Joomla. Joomla, that's the one. Drupal. Like my, Drup my Drupal developers charge me like 500 bucks an hour. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're wet. WordPress, a lot, it'll be, you know, 75 to 150 in that range usually, unless they're a super rock star. And then they might just lie to you about how many hours it took them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I think WordPress is something that you can, you can, and that's the purpose of the webinar, right? You can, you don't have to be a developer. You can come out knowing what you need to know to maintain your own site using a premium theme. So you didn't have to code anything, how to navigate the back end. Um, the steps you can take to transition from talking about what you do to talking about why people should buy from you. We're going to include some marketing in there because the other big mistake I see on websites is it's all about the what's under the hood. And I don't usually care what's under the hood. So, I mean, the purpose there is to empower everybody to be able to, to use the tool. And the tool is WordPress. And it, it, it looks really ugly on the back end, Jack. Like you log in, it's not pretty, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you learn where a couple of things are, you can do just about anything you need to do on your site that a person would want to do. You know, well, there there are things we say we want to do that we really shouldn't do on a website. Absolutely. I mean, what I love about WordPress is 99% of the time, if you're like, I want my site to be able to fill in the blank, there's either a free or inexpensive plugin that you can click a button and your site will do that. Right. And sometimes it might require a little bit of configuration, but a lot of it, like, it literally is install, activate. Now my site does that. Yeah, and, I love that. And, I mean, the other thing is, I think, from a standpoint of having to, like, be a coach to your clients, once you teach them, here's how you make a page, and here's how you make a post. It's basically the same, but you click this one for page and this one for post. By the way, this one says post, and this one says page and you put your content in here, and here's how you add an image. The part that people get hung up with on the site is trying to make everything lay out and look right. And yeah. I think the, the average entrepreneur, unless you're starting a business building websites, should not even touch that. There's these people no. called graphic artists. They're actually really good at what they do. 
And then there's people like you that understand how to like, you know, configure the sites and what have you. And you just focus on the content and what your site is supposed to do and let somebody else make it look pretty. Right. And then, and, and, that, and that's a one-time job, by the way. You don't have to constantly make, and I hate that. I mean, that's a, when you see a person <laughs> like every six weeks, they have a new looking website. There, you, you have no brand. No, right? and you're, <laughs> Your audience is used to seeing your brand, and it's just like a slap in the face every time you have changed, unless you like grow to that. Or, you know, every couple of years, a big change is fine. I, I remember Yahoo, I, I don't know how many years ago, they decided they needed a new log logo. Yeah. And every day for 30 days, they put a new logo out. Oh, good God. That was about the worst marketing campaign I've seen in a long time. I was like, really, guys? And, you know, Yahoo is not. I mean, they still exist. They still exist. But somehow. Yeah. Boy, you want to talk about there. a company that was like the darling of the Dow and or actually NASDAQ and, and had everything going for them and somehow blew everything they ever touched to hell. I mean, they were Google's only real competitor and everything Google did that they did They did worse as if on purpose. It was <laughs> – and, and how they're still here, I don't know. I don't know. I do feel bad for the person that paid $300 a share for their stock, though. Yeah. I feel bad for them, you know, really bad for them. So um, where you have a site up for this now? I do, yeah. So if you so the web course has some options. You can just take the webinar and do everything yourself, work with whatever designer you want. It does include the first year of hosting. At the basic level, uh, the but you can also bundle in graphic design services from some of the designers that I trust, and we also have a premium package where you get some web development help too. So, like if you're doing a really complex Woo WooCommerce or uh, you know shopping cart, basically, you may need some development help just to figure out the configurations on the back end. Um, that's that's the one that usually takes the most time on a WordPress site. When when I've seen them, you know, adding shipping is like the bane of my existence. But um, so yeah, that's shipping where? Yeah, you shipping have, where? It's all how different. big? How many? Oh no, yeah. it went to a bigger box. Yeah, like all of that's a big. Where's your cutoff? Of like so, nine bags fit in one, you know, priority yeah. mailbox, but ten don't. And now I got to put one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, that's a big pain. So Sparkcom Group, S-P-A-R-K-C-O-M-M group.com has, uh, if you go there in the upper right-hand corner, it says WordPress webinar. And I also, of course, if you go to my podcast, livingfreeintennessee.com, I have a link there that will take you to the course so that there are two ways to get there. Um, but the Spark Communications Group website is is where the primary part of that is. And do you see yourself with SmartCom Group as we build your site, make sure that it works and that you understand it, and now off you go? Or are you doing any assistance at all with marketing or recommending that maybe people do, you know, go somewhere else for that side of things? The Smart Communications Group is a fairly full-service marketing agency, and it's a group of us. So it's a group of people I trust, and I add more over time. So we can handle advertising campaigns. We do strategic marketing programs for people. We build websites. We do design work. 
So we are full service. If you're interested in that, we can, we can even run people's Facebook campaigns. If they, if they want to do some sort of a launch or build their audience, we can help them do that. The, the way that we like to work is that we unify around your long-term goal. It's just like what you do in life, right? Unify around the long-term goal and make sure what you're hiring us for makes sense. So what I don't want to do is an ad campaign that's going to get you a bunch of business you don't want or not going to be the right audience, that sort of thing. So that's how working with Spark Communications Group is a little different than than most web developers. Yeah, you can bring a thousand people to a website, but if none of them are qualified customers, it doesn't do you any good. Exactly. You know, and if you're not capturing information, things like that, getting people to follow you, whatever it is, you got to be making engagements at this point. So very cool. I knew you were doing something with that. Uh, in fact, I just flipped you a customer, I hope. Um, yes, you did. <laughs> like I said, I hope. I don't know if that worked out for you or not, but um, I didn't know you were going to this level with it. So that's 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 awesome. And I'm glad you've got other people involved because otherwise I think you'd like, I don't know, by this time next year have no hair left from pulling it out. You know. Correct. Yeah. No, I, I know what I want to do at Spark Communications Group, and I've always been good at bringing good people together. And so I did that. Um, and I've worked with many of these people for 15 years. Very, very so, cool. Yeah. So I trust them. So the three websites people should be checking out are? LivingFreeInTennessee.com, SparkComGroup.com, and of course, HollerRoastCoffee.com just launched our actual website today. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I'll so, make sure I have links to all of them in the show notes. Awesome. And, uh, hey, Nicole, man, this has been a great interview. I enjoyed having you on, as always. And I appreciate you being on with us today, and I appreciate all the work you do with uh, answering questions for the Expert Council as well. Great. I'm, I'm going to get you two more today, but thanks for having me on the call. <laughs> very, very, very cool, man. I'm glad to have them coming in. I, I think I'm a piker right now, right? You are on the pikers. You are on the pre-piker list. I'm on the pre-piker list. You're not yeah. on the pikers list. The, the pikers list, when people sit on the pikers list for long, they don't get the pike anymore. They, they pike elsewhere. Um, yes. You are on the pre-pikers list. You're, you're pretty far from the pikers list, though. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people should also know, like, if they're if they're coming in uh, in November, just a couple weeks here now, yeah. uh, they're going to get to see you and learn all about all this cool stuff from you. Yep. We'll, we'll be doing the launch for this right there. And we'll also be doing a entrepreneurs uh, discussion panel that I, uh, David Siegler, Nicole, and uh, and some other folks, Vin Armani's going to be on that. That's going to be pretty cool, and we will be videoing that. So um, you guys that are MSB members, you're going to have access to all the videos from this workshop coming up, and including all of Nicole's cool stuff. Anyway, uh, Nicole, again, man, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been a great day. Awesome stuff from the awesome Nicole Awesome Sauce, as always. Anyway, guys, uh, hope you enjoyed that interview, and uh, definitely check out what Nicole's got going on. Again, I have links to all of her websites in today's show notes. And if you've been looking to kind of get your website squared away, or you're trying to start a business, you need a website to go with it, I can't recommend anybody more strongly than I would Nicole for that. Um, it's kind of an off t off that real quick. Um, the person I recommend, I mentioned that I uh, kind of flipped to her as a customer, recently uh, is a next-door neighbor. He's a next-door neighbor that came to me for some help, and I gave him about two hours of uh, education on online marketing. And uh, then I said, I, he's like, well, do you know how to do all this? I'm like, yeah, I don't do that. And I said, but I'll get you someone that can help you, and I sent him to the call. It's one thing to recommend people consider using a service through your business like I do here on the air. It's a completely another level when a person who you shake the hand of across the fence, you recommend them to go do business with somebody. 
there has to be a tremendous amount of confidence in them to do that. Because this man's my neighbor and my friend, and I recommend that he go there. If I'd recommend he go there, if you're looking for some help, that's where I'd recommend you go as well, very, very confidently, in fact. So um, on top of that, like if you guys like the show and you want to help support us, one of the really easy ways that you can do that is by um, going through tspaz.com when you shop online. Just go to tspaz.com, tspaz for short, .com. And you can click a link there and get on over to Amazon and check stuff out over there. And anything you do after that helps support our show because we're an affiliate for them. And, of course, you can re read all of our reviews that we have for our Amazon products. Today's one I've brought around a few times now, uh, but I really think it, it, it fits perfectly for today, even though I don't use it for what you know Nicole does. Nicole's big into coffee. And I have the Mr. Coffee Electric Coffee Grinder today. I use it mostly for grinding spices and seasonings. But I do occasionally grind up some coffee and make some stuff in a French press. And it's really a great tool. It's like 18 bucks. I had one for almost 10 years. And I figured out what would break it. What broke it was putting um, oyster shells into it and trying to grind them up for my baby quail when I had my first baby quail. Um, it actually worked a couple times, but I did eventually break it. And I felt like, well, duh, you kind of knew that was going to happen, didn't you? I picked up another one. It's run rock solid for me ever since. And uh, it's just a great tool. And if you if you use it in your kitchen a few times, you'll wonder how you were ever without one. It's been purchased by hundreds of members of this audience when I look at sales reports. And I've this is one of those items. You know, hundreds are bought, total number of complaints, zero. Uh, great reviews on Amazon from all the people that aren't idiots. You know the number one negative review? Cord's too short. The cord's too short. The, the cord wraps up and stores in the bottom. You have to pull it out. It's a couple feet long. Like, it's only six inches long. It won't work. I can't reach it to the wall. You know, in the words of Ron White, folks, you can't fix stupid. And sometimes that applies to low-quality reviews on Amazon. So whenever you're looking at items on Amazon for review, a couple things. One, check fakespot.com and make sure they're not gaming the system. Uh, so you don't attribute, you know, good things to reviews that shouldn't be there. But the other one is read the negative reviews. And read if they're written by people that are intelligent and understanding or people that just bought an $18 coffee grinder that expected to perform like a you know $1,000 commercial grinder or somebody that can't work in a cord. Just saying. Anyway, the Mr. Coffee Electric Coffee Grinder, I have one of my go-to rubs for chicken and pork in the review. It's got some really great stuff in it, and I tell you all about how to use this in your kitchen. I'll have videos coming up. Honestly, with this product, I was going to give you guys uh, a recipe today, but if you can tell my voice, I'm really struggling to get through this week with my voice, so uh, I'm going to uh, to call it short and just say check out the review today. Uh, next up, we go to our song of the day, and of course we're continuing our, our walk down 40 years of history with the Bat Out of Hell album, and we're up to song three on that album now, Heaven Can Wait. I've always loved this song. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever. And, you know, some Meatloaf songs are pretty, but they're not really pure and beautiful. This one actually really is a pure and beautiful song. Again, written by uh, Jim Steinman, who wrote all of the, the songs on the Bad Out of Hell album. This is one of three songs that was in a musical play called Neverland that Jim Steinman wrote and Meatloaf was involved with. I didn't know anything about that. I've always loved this album, but I had no idea about that they came... I always felt like it was 
so opera, you know, like opera-like that this had to come from somewhere. And this, the whole album seems to be written to be listened to. Like I, when I listen to the Bad Out of Hell album, I feel like it was designed to be listened to from the beginning to the end in the order the songs are on it. And part of that is that core of there's three songs on there that come from this musical, Neverland. And that is Bad Out of Hell, All Revved Up With No Place To Go, and Heaven Can Wait. Now, I tried to find, like, can you see a movie or a video of this? Apparently it was only done once or twice, and there's a transcript available on one of a website of the, the, the play, but it really doesn't give you, like, sets and concepts. You just read what everybody's saying, and it's not complete. But when I when I got the context that, you know, Bad Out of Hell and this came from a musical together, I kind of saw it as this must be related to, like, Heaven Can Wait and this motorcycle crash. And it is, but not quite the way that I thought it would be. When I read this transcript, I kind of see it as, like, it's, it's just loosely based on, you know, P the concept of Peter Pan in Neverland. But when I read it, it, it kind of reads like, It's based on that, but it has like these 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 feelings of a Midsummer Night's Dream from Shakespeare without the little animals, right? Um, very much that way. And it, it appears from what I read that after this motorcycle crash component of Bad Out of Hell, there's like a crossing over, but maybe not into death, maybe into the what is Neverland. But it's not just him. Like when you listen to the song Bad Out of Hell, it sounds like the guy dies thinking of her. But it seems like they're together during this. And they become part of this pack. Together. And it puts a whole new context on this song. To think of it that way. Even just think of it this way. That Bad Out of Hell is the story of a man dying in a motorcycle wreck. A tragic death while thinking of the person he loves. And this song comes next. It might come across a little differently than it ever has before if you didn't know that. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.